welcome to another episode of Saturday, Saturday the, the 14th. 14th. I am Maggie. I am Maddie. And we are sorry for taking a month off from recording this podcast. Maggie was traveling. And then Maddie was traveling. And then I was on crutches. Yeah. There it, was an incident. There, I fell. Yeah. I'm really graceful. Um, You're like, you have the highest track record of getting injured playing like completely recreational, voluntary, chill sports. I was talking to someone at work today and about my leg. Um, I strained three muscles in my calf. And he was like, oh, did you stop running? I was like, yeah, I haven't run since I got hurt. And he's like, oh, but you asked about working out. And I was like, oh, no, that was for a different injury. Because I hurt my, I have like, he was like, didn't you talk about like shin splints? I was like, well, I have a stress reaction in my foot. And now I like, tore stuff in my other calf and the good news is it's forcing my foot to heal and he was just like what what is wrong with it's you it's so funny because i was literally talking to my brother about how like i was skating with you now and i was like yeah i mean maddie like really gets into these like recreational activities but like she kind of hurts herself a lot like she tore her acl <laughs> playing quidditch and like all this other stuff and then literally that day I got the text from you and I was like, she did it again! <laughs> yeah, that was really dumb. But with more concern in my voice initially. I was very concerned. I, I thought I broke my leg, but I didn't. Yeah, I'm happy Apparently you didn't. I just have a really low pain tolerance. No surprises. I mean, you know. It's fine. I feel happens. deeply. You do. You're just so empathetic. You know. You have so many feelings. I do have a lot of feelings. Especially about The Babadook. Which is, in fact, a movie about feelings. It's a movie about people who, all of them, feel very deeply. Yeah, but see, the nice thing is you acknowledge your feelings. I talk about my feelings. You discuss them. You bring them up. You let people know. And you know what happens if you ignore an injury? It gets worse. You know what happens when you ignore a Babadook? It gets worse. It tries to murder your child. And you. And you and your dog, which I'm very sad about. I'm sad yeah. about that scene. Unfortunately, it uh, succeeds in that one. Yeah. But in case you can't tell... You can probably tell. I hope you can tell that we're talking about the Babadook this week. This episode's about the Babadook? It's a pretty fucked up movie. It is. I watched it a couple years ago by myself, probably in like 2014 or 2015, like it was not long after it came out. And I was like, wow, that's scary. I never need to see that again. But it is so, I feel like it's more optimistic than a lot of horror movies are, which I like. I feel like the ending doesn't leave you like wrecked like the way like something like hereditary does where you're just like god what a fucking nightmare see i would movie, rather like, watch hereditary again than watch this again well i suppose that well but like okay so like yeah the cat or the dog dies but like it has a happier ending and no one in it dies yeah but it's just it's such a it's not about the ending and how i felt after the movie it's how i felt during the process of the movie that's true it's and more I just upsetting felt so like deeply uncomfortable and unnerved and like there wasn't so something I think we've talked about in the past, the idea of like having moments to breathe in movies. So like if you watch um the Amityville Horror and like there's that jump stare with the cat, right? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, cool, but you know nothing's gonna happen now or whatever. And you're right. like are fine for a couple of minutes, you can actually breathe. There's like no moments in this movie for you just to breathe and relax. That's true, because basically even when like the um the more supernatural stuff isn't happening, you're still dealing with her problems like because she has her own set of emotional problems which we'll get into that sort of open her up for the Babadook but they don't go away even when you're not like in a Babadook-y heavy I mean, moment honestly when the supernatural things are happening I feel like those are like the most breathable moments in this movie that's true because those are like the least scary yeah or not scary I guess they're it's not that this movie to me is scary it's that it's just I f... it's uh it's, it's like a visceral reaction that I have and it's to this so, like I mean the the 
parent-child relationship in this like is obviously the worst extreme in a lot of ways and becomes the worst ex- extreme by the end of the movie but like the feelings that like the feelings that sort of set the stage for the Babadook to come in and like the main kind of issues that were introduced to right at the beginning of the movie are very realistic yeah and like they're a very understandable like you see her and everything that she's doing may or may not be a good thing like I'm obviously like most of the stuff she does is not good but it's understandable and like you get yeah. why she feels that way and you're like oh I get it but like don't like you need to do something about it instead of just like letting that kind of consume you but like you understand where she's coming from and like she suffered this horrible thing and I don't know yeah I think it's almost how realistic it is and like it, this makes me uncomfortable and makes me not want to watch it in the same way that like some just drama movies do like I would rather watch a jump scare horror supernatural thing than something that's just like in your face like look at this toxic relationship yeah so you know what this movie like almost reminds me of in some ways is uh and this is a completely different genre completely different in so many ways but it's very painful to watch is like crazy where it's these people like you understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and but you're still so painful and you know they're making the wrong decisions yeah. and it just like it hurts to watch it and that one's like is just a total cry fest. If you haven't seen it, it stars Felicity Jones and Anton Yelchin. Um, and they fall in love, but she is from the UK and she ends up getting deported because she stays past her visa in order to be with him. Mm. And it's just like this really difficult movie to watch. And I think this is difficult in that way with some creepy supernatural stuff. Yeah, it's like it's a really great movie. And I mean, it's basically word for word what I said about Hereditary when we watched Hereditary. Like, it's beautifully done. The, you know, the style is really interesting and has its own artistic viewpoint. The acting is incredible. But like, it's not fun to watch. Not at all. Um, But it is a fantastic movie. So let's get into it. Um, So The Babadook came out in 2014. Um, it's a psychological supernatural horror. It really blurs those lines pretty it's heavily. It's a lot more psychological, I think, than supernatural, but there are yeah. supernatural elements. It's like a supernatural heavy-handed metaphor. Yeah, basically. There's like a supernatural device in the movie to represent, yeah, to represent the psychological horror that's happening. Um, it was written and directed by Jennifer Kent. Yes, and it stars Essie Davis, Noah Wiseman, Haley right. McElhenney, Daniel Henshaw, Barbara West, and Ben Winspear. Um, it was made for $2 million. Yeah, pretty tidy budget. Little, little it is, budget. but I'm actually surprised it was that much in some ways. Yeah. Because there's very, very few effects. I think they had to build the house. Okay, that's a good reason. Because I don't think oh, that they had... They wanted a terrace, and apparently in... I think they shot it in Adelaide, and there are not a lot of houses with terraces in Adelaide, so they, like constructed one or gotcha. something like that that and i guess there is a scene where there's like an earthquake that's kind of like tearing the house apart a little bit true so they probably had to build like rooms to kind of tear them apart and she floats and you know there's a couple scenes where she and there's floats the stop motion babadook stuff which is in camera but there's still like an element of time and that's stuff that true yeah yeah and yes they probably had to pay for a lot of rights to a lot of movies that is true there were some that they couldn't actually use but we'll get into that in a second um and it made a good amount back it made yeah, I mean, ten point three million dollars, which is impressive for a small Australian movie that is not like mass appeal at all. No, it's very niche, and I, I guess it got a lot of blowback and people not finding it like scary or whatever. But like we talked about, that's not really—it's not a jump scare movie. It's about something else. Yeah. So whatever. 
Um, so, I mean, honestly, I think we start off with one of the most interesting effects, which is a dream sequence in which Amelia, who's our main character played by Essie Davis, is reliving the car accident in which her husband died. And it's just this close-up shot on her face, and you hear, like, her son calling for her in the background, which is interesting because he wouldn't have been born then, because as we find out later, this accident happened on the same day that she gave birth to him. So her husband was driving her to the hospital so she could give birth, and he got into a car accident, and he dies. And yeah, she's reliving this moment. There's a close-up of her face, and you see, like, glass flying. And and she, like, like, spins. Yeah, it's clear, like, the car's going upside down. And then she wakes up and there's like a close up of her like falling into bed kind of yeah like she's hovering above bed and she sort of drifts down into bed yeah um that turns out her son samuel is calling for her yes um and he is a difficult child yeah um he is obsessed with the idea of imaginary monsters he has all these weapons that he's going to use to protect her and him from the monster yeah and uh so he tells her that he's afraid and he wants her to sleep with him or he sleeps in her bed or something like that. Yeah. And it's clear this is like a common behavior. And he also ends up like sleeping with like his hand like on her neck, like grabbing it. And I was like, this must be so physically uncomfortable for her. Yeah. Because she's clearly just like awake and cannot sleep. Right. Um, but the next morning, she like she takes her son to school and goes to work. She works at like a retirement home. And she works in the dementia ward specifically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's, like, a kind of cute co-worker there who, like, they flirt a little bit at the yeah. office. His name's Robbie. Um, and then she gets a call from Sam's school that he is in trouble. And so she goes in and she finds out that he has brought the weapons to fight the imaginary yeah, monsters. Yeah, and these are, like, fairly sophisticated weapons for a child. He has, like, a little mini crossbow with, like, a dart. And he has, like, a catapult that shoots, like, a ball. yeah. And he keeps breaking stuff around the house with it. Like, he he's a bit of a danger. I don't know why. Like, I know you shouldn't take things away from your children just because you don't want to deal with them, right? But, like, maybe your six-year-old shouldn't have a crossbow? And a catapult. It just seems like maybe prevent that instead of dealing with the aftermath. But whatever. Yeah. Um, but the school is talking about how they want to assign a monitor to him, which is like an adult that would have like follow him around and kind of help him out with stuff. And she's like, hell no. I want him to have like a normal experience growing up. He already feels like he's a weird kid. This would make things even worse for him. Yeah. And they like keep calling him the boy in the he- conversation. And she's like, don't fucking call him the boy. His name is yeah. Samuel. But so they basically say he can't stay at school unless he does this. Yes. And so she's like, cool, I'm going to take him out of school. And like on the drive home, he's screaming a lot. And he he screams a lot in this movie. He has like, he has some emotional issues and he lets them out by screaming a lot. Yeah. Um, But that night they decide to read a book together and like they find this book. He in... finds it on his shelf and he's yeah. like, I want you to read this one to me. And it's called Mr. Babadook and it is a pop-up book. And it is uh, creepy as fuck. Yeah, so it starts off relatively normal. That's like, here's a creature. Look in your closet. It's a Babadook. And like, it's sort of like a vaguely cutesy kid's If it's book, in a word or gets, if it's in a book, you, you can't, can't get, get rid of the Babadook? Yeah. I was going to say you can't get away from the Babadook, but that's not I right. I think it's you can't get rid of the Babadook. It is. It comes up later. Um, And so... It goes through and it gets creepier and creepier as the book goes on. It talks about how, like, there's this tall, pale, creepy guy who wears, like, a top hat and a long coat and has, like, pointy fingers. And, like, when he shows you what's underneath, you'll wish you're, like, you'll wish you were dead. Yeah. And she doesn't, 
I don't think she reads the whole thing to him because she starts flipping through and she's like, what the fuck? Yeah, she starts going through and she's like, I don't want to finish this. And he's like, no, you said I could pick what book. And so she continues and she stops before the whole like, you'll wish you were dead thing. And then it cuts directly from that to her reading him like a book about mermaids while he just screams into her lap. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's so afraid. It's a funny cut, but it's obviously it a terrible is. situation. I, uh... I don't know. This movie messes with me really hard for some reason. And even that cut was just like, oh, God, the pain. Like, she has to deal with this screaming, this incessant noise. And it's tough because it's like it's your kid. And your kid has been through all of this emotional stuff. And, like, you know, he's not trying to be bad or whatever. And you still love your kid. But, like, God, when you have a six-year-old that screams all the time, that's got to be exhausting. You Like, you kind of get her frustration and her exhaustion. Yeah. So anyway, um, he she gets him to go to sleep, and she goes downstairs, and she's watching TV, and there are, like, some romantic things, um, you know, on. Mm-hmm. She's watching some romance movie, and she's like, I'm going to go uh, have some time to myself upstairs with my vibrator. Hell yeah. And she starts to do that, and then Sam interrupts her in the middle of it. Yeah. Like, right as she's about to orgasm. Which is, like, just on top of all the other frustration, it's like, God, that is one of the scary. I don't want to say one of the scariest scenes in the movie, but, like, it's shot like a horror movie because while she's, like, doing her own thing, you see, like, the door open. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. I know what's going to happen right now. <laughs> and uh-huh. it does. And he pops into bed and, like, surprises her. And she's like, um! <laughs> um but he's convinced that the Babadook is real and in his closet. So she has to, like, go check his closet and stuff yeah. like that. And, and so the Babadook has replaced the imaginary monster that he's been afraid of. Yes. And so the next day, she drops him off at her sister's place. So her sister Claire has uh, a kid who, um, like, they play with as well. Her- so, uh, yeah, it's like his little cousin. They're born around the same time of year. And so uh, they often have, like, birthday parties together and stuff. Right, because she never celebrates Sam's birthday on the day because it's also the day that her husband Oscar died. So she doesn't want to celebrate that. Um, but there's like a scene of them playing at the playground earlier and like, it's clear they don't really get along. And her sister's like, yeah, like he wants to have, she wants to have like her own birthday party this year. She wants a princess themed one. Yeah. She wants a princess party. And Amelia's like, oh, we just don't have to come. It's fine. They're like, no, you should still come. Just. Yeah. Just, it's not for both of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but while they're doing that, he's screaming like, mom, mom, mommy, mommy. He's like climbing to the top of a swing set. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he he gets on top. He's standing on top of the swing set. I don't even know how the heck he got up there. No. And then it's pretty clear he, like, fell. Yeah. Because he's, like, crying again. Yeah. So despite the fact that, like, her sister is, like, a little bit freaked out and, like, clearly her co- his cousin is sort of, like, distancing herself from him a little bit, her sister Claire still takes care of Sam during the day. And so she... They have, like, this sleepless night the night before because they can't get any sleep because of the Babadook. So she goes into work already, and she's late, and she's tired. And Robbie is, like, kind of flirting with her. And then she gets, like, he offers to take her shift for the rest of the day. He's like, you know what? You have a sick kid. Go home. Hang out with your kid. I'll handle the rest of this. Don't worry about it. Yeah, she was, um, she told everyone that Samuel was, like, puking and stuff like yeah. that. And that's why. So she's like, okay, great. Thank you so much. Like, and instead of going to get him, she goes to the mall. And, like, chills out by herself, which is understandable. She just, like, needed a second. Yeah. But then she sees that she's missed 10 calls from her sister. And she goes um, 
to her sister's place to pick him up. And she's like, her sister's like, he will not stop talking about this thing called the Babadook. It is freaking my daughter out. Yeah. So he has been like talking to thin air in front of them. Yeah. And just being creepy as hell. And they're like, you can't keep him here. I know like he doesn't have anywhere to go, but like you can't drop him off. He's too creepy. Yeah. And so she takes him home and Robbie like shows up with flowers because he's a sweetheart. And he comes with, like, a little toy plane thing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my parents always got this for me when I was sick. And Sam is like, like, I'm not sick. Yeah. Rip. And so he's like, oh, um, I thought you were. And (laughs) Amelia's like, no, tell him the truth. You're not sick. You're just such a bad boy that you're not allowed to go to school anymore. And she's like, what other six-year-olds do you know that, like, still have imaginary friends and all this stuff, still believe in monsters? And Robbie's like, oh, I really need to leave. I have somewhere else to be. I also feel like that's a very common thing. Yeah, I mean, I never had imaginary friends, so I don't know when it's supposed to end. I never had an imaginary friend, but I was, like, scared of monsters. Oh, I was always scared of monsters. I was scared of my own reflection. I couldn't sleep with the door um, open. Reflections are the creepiest things in the entire world. They're very freaky because they look just like you. But they're not you. No. And so she's, like, having an even worse time with him. He still believes in the Babadook. They're getting into these arguments. Like, it's just not going well. And just all of these weird things start to happen with them. Like, she hears, like, these scraping sounds in the hallway at night. And... Like, Sam is hearing, like, banging in his closet at night. I think she finds the book again, like, in Sam's room or something. Yes, she does. And she also finds um, glass in her food, like shards of glass Oh, yeah, they're eating dinner, and it's only in her food. Yeah. And she at first thinks, like, oh, did something break? And she's like, Sam, don't eat yours. And she goes through his, and there isn't any. And then she has, like, multiple pieces. He's like, the Babadook did it. And she's like, what the fuck? Because obviously she doesn't think the Babadook did it. And so she's like, I'm going to get rid of this shit. Like, I don't want to deal with this Babadook bullshit anymore. So she rips up the book and she throws it away. And they go to Sam's cousin's birthday party. Like, fresh start. Fuck this. We're not going to worry about it anymore. And so, like, the little girl who clearly is, like, a very spoiled kid. Oh, my God. She's kind of annoying. the worst. Um, She opens a Barbie doll and she's like, I already had this Barbie. Yeah. And, uh... Later, the kids all go outside to play, and Sam's, like, so scared of the Babadook that he doesn't want to go outside, and the mom's like, you need to go outside and play. And so she, like, she's hanging out with the other moms, and they're, like, the worst. Well, we do find out here, because they're like, oh, I heard that you were a writer. And so she used to do some writing, including children's books. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, oh, you just need to get back into it. Like, we have this group of, like, troubled women or... I can't remember exactly yeah, how the, it's less even fortunate more condescending women. than that because the one of the moms is like, oh, I do a lot of work with like underprivileged or like at risk women, and they find that it's very hard to have lost a husband, which is like, yes, correct, it duh, is hard. obviously. And I don't remember what happens, but she starts talking about uh, like her nails or something like that, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, is that what you talk to these women about? Like, I'm yeah, sure you, you must can... have so much in common. Yeah. And she, like, storms out. Yeah. And they go outside, and it turns out um, that Sam is hiding in the treehouse. Yeah. While all the girls play together. And his cousin goes up, and she's been a real piece of work. She's like, you're not allowed in my treehouse. Like, you need to have a dad be here. Like, your dad died so he could get away from you. Which and- is so fucking mean and then like and your mom hates you and she wants to get away from you and that's why she like drops you off here like it's just saying all this really bitchy stuff yeah and so amelia and claire are like sort of having this argument situation um like down on the grass and 
Amelia's like, they pity me. Like, it's not the same as them liking me. Like, all these moms are just, like, rude to me. And, and Claire is like, yeah, they probably pity you because, like, all you ever do is mope around and, like, you're still not over your husband's death and, like, you won't try to get over it. And she's like, well, I never even bring it up. Like, I never even talk about him or anything like that. And Claire's like, that's not and better. She's, she's also, like... uh she says, Claire's like, oh, we, like, you should meet someone. She's like, well, I have met someone, but you never ask, so I haven't talked about it. Like, when was the last time you ever asked anything about my life? Yeah. And it's just like, a, it's a sister fight. Yeah, and during this, Claire is like, no one likes your kid because he's really fucking creepy, basically. Yeah. And Amelia's like, hey, fuck you. And then, mm, poor timing, Sam shoves Ruby out of the um, treehouse. And she ends up breaking her nose in two places. Yes. I didn't know you could actually break your nose in two places. I guess they'd have to be very close together. But I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And so obviously Claire is like, you guys need to fucking move out of here. Yeah. And so on the drive home, Sam gets like a vision of the Babadook and is like screaming in the backseat. And this is like the meme scene where like he's screaming in the backseat and she's like, why can't you just be normal? And he's just like, ah! Yeah. And it turns out he like they they get she ends up like pulling over, takes him out of the car, and it seems like he's having a seizure. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, when they go in, um, he's like, it seems like his brain overheated in a way. Yeah. I, I don't remember the term that he uses for it. But he's basically mm-hmm. like, there's too much going on, and he kind of had a meltdown. Yeah. And so she asks the doctor to prescribe some tranquilizers. And he's like, normally moms don't want us to give their children tranquilizers unless it's a worst case situation. And she's like, it, it is a worst case situation. Which I mean. Not the right thing to do, but also like, you see where she's coming from. Like, because neither of them have slept in so long. And it, it's also scenes like this, or like when she's giving him the tranquilizers. Like, those are the ones that make me feel so just like deeply uncomfortable and make this such a difficult movie for me to watch. Right, because it's like, is it the best choice for her child? Probably not. But if you hadn't slept in weeks, but also and if your he child hasn't won't slept and screaming. he can't sleep because he gets these nightmares. Yeah, he can't do anything. Like, it probably isn't a horrible idea to get like something to help him sleep through the night since he hasn't been able to in like seemingly weeks. Right. But then simultaneously you're just drugging your kid to make your life easier. Right. And so it's such a fine line to walk. I don't, I think the idea of like getting sleeping pills that way your kid can sleep occasionally, not bad. But what she does with them, what she does with them, bad, bad, bad. bad. (laughs) They go and they finally get a good night's sleep. Yes, the Finally. first time they both, they wake up. She wakes up at like 11 a.m. and he's still asleep. She's like refreshed. She's feeling great. She goes outside. Well, there's a duke, duke, duke oh, right. on the door. Yeah. And uh, in the book, it says like, oh, you'll hear a baba duke, duke, duke. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like knocking, right? And mm-hmm. so there's three knocks on the door. They aren't actually dukes, but like. Right. Uh, she opens the door and there's no one there. And she's like, okay. So she closes it. There are three like bang, bang, bang bangs on the door and she opens it and she's like what the fuck there's no one here and she looks down and the babadook book is back it's back and it's been taped together and there are a whole bunch more pages added to it i do love the idea of the babadook with his long knifey fingers just sitting there and like scotch taping all the little book parts back together like it's his craft project his horror craft project um but there is a active uh scene in this book now of her killing her son and her dog yeah in like creepy little pop-up book form and they have like yeah like blood gushes out of the neck yeah she cuts her own neck and blood gushes out at some point in this book and so she's like this is fucked up i gotta get rid of this and yeah it's like if you deny it the stronger it gets and stuff like that so she's like i'm gonna fucking burn this shit so she does and then when she gets back inside the phone rings and so she'd just been talking to claire on the phone And they have, like, this whole argument, and she's like, I just want to talk to you. Like, I'm just freaked out. Like, I don't want you to do anything. I'm just, like, 
you know, you're my sister. I want to be able to talk to you about this stuff. Claire doesn't really receive it well. And so that phone call ends and she gets another call and she picks it right back up. She's like, Claire? And instead it's just like a creepy Baba. Duck. It's very fucking creepy. It's super terrifying. And she's like, wow, what the fuck is this? I'm going to the police. Smart. So she leaves Sam with the neighbor. And, Who is uh, a wonderful lady named really Mrs. Roach. A very sweet old woman. Yeah. And uh, she goes to the police station being like, yo, someone's stalking me. They left a book that has like violent scenes in it. Uh, and they're like, okay, cool. So where's the book? And they're like, she was like, well, I burned it. And they're like, okay. And she mentions the phone call. And they're like, we can't do anything because we have no evidence. Right. They're, she's like, well, the phone calls at least. And they're like, okay, well, how do you know it's like threatening? And she's like, well, because of what they said, they made like a threatening noise. And they're like, what does that mean? And she's like, well, it had to do with the book. And they're like, the book that you burned. And she's like, yes. And they all are kind of looking at her like she's crazy. And in the back behind the guy she's talking to, there is a coat and hat hanging on the wall with like the long Babadook fingers. Like it looks like the Babadook himself is hanging up on the wall, basically. Yeah. And uh, there's another scene at some point that I don't know if it happened before this uh, or if it happens after, but like it happens again at her house at some point yeah, where she, she sees like, like the hat and like a hat and coat and shoes. They're just all positioned as if like there's a very tall, skinny person with those proportions. Yeah. And so she's, like, freaking out. But, I mean, what is she going to do? Like, oh, the Babadook suit is behind you? Like, what's going on? Well, like, she just leaves. She just fucking pieces out of there. And she goes home and uh, picks up her kid. Yeah. And so she starts to see the Babadook, like you said, in her room at night. Um, that night, like, Sam comes to sleep with her. And she hears, like, scratching at the door. And uh, the dog comes in. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. And then she hears it again. And something, like, enters the room. And this is actually the only, like, supernatural moment that I was, like, freaked out by. It was, like, it's... The Babadook is, like, in her room. Yeah. And uh, she, like, she pulls the blanket over her head. Yes. But, like... But then she pulls it back down, and the Babadook is on her ceiling. Yeah, and it, like, enters into her mouth. Yeah. It's really creepy. That is the only time where you actually see the Babadook's face. I would say this is the least scary Babadook no, scene. you see it a couple more times. That's the I only... guess that's true. It's the only time you see it, like, clearly. Yeah, because there's a couple other times where you see, like... There's the television scene. That's true. There's a lot of Babadook in that. That's true. But that's like an interpretation of the Babadook. I guess it is the same Babadook, but whatever. Anyway. And I think towards the end, you kind of see it a little bit again, but yeah. True. Um, and so things start going real downhill from there. She starts sleeping constantly, and she's like still giving Sam the sleeping pills, but she's not feeding him anymore. Yeah. So she like when he wakes up, she'll give him a pill and tell him to go back to sleep. And he gets like really nauseous and like wants to throw up when he doesn't have food with it. And like he comes into her bedroom at one point and she's asleep and he's like hey like i'm really hungry i don't feel good like it says you're supposed to eat the pills with food but like there's nothing here i don't know what to do will you make me like a sandwich or something and she screams at him that if you're hungry why don't you go eat shit which is like not not a good mothering move and he just like runs out of the room she has to like go get him later and she's like i'm so sorry i don't know why i said that and so she gets dressed, and she takes him out to dinner, and she wears a very nice velvet red dress, which is, yeah. she's usually in, like, these light pinks. Yeah. And this is the first time you see her in, like, a vibrant color, and it's, she's really dressed up a lot more than usual. It's, like, very weird. Yeah. And she's, like, it's just the two of them sitting at this booth. They're having this very quiet lunch. And on the way back, she's driving, and she starts to see cockroaches, which, like, you've seen some cockroaches around the house yeah. prior to this moment. And it's always kind of before like a Babadookie thing happens. And she starts to see them 
crawling like on the papers next to her in like the passenger seat and then she sees them on her legs and so she's like freaking out and trying to brush them off and starts like and they start falling i think from the top of the car too and she starts swerving and she hits another guy's car yeah and she just kind of like looks at him and he's like what the fuck like you hit my car and then she just like drives off yeah she's like pieces out and then like parks her fucked up car and like goes inside yeah and then she goes inside she just sits in the bathtub and it's full of water in her clothes yeah and he comes in and he's like what's going on and she just picks him up and puts him in the water he says like i don't want you to have to leave yeah or something like that i don't want you to go away yeah and uh so she puts him in the water and she's like i'm not going anywhere she's like it's nice it's warm and he's like I'm fully clothed. This is very weird. And so he wants to call someone and, like, go stay with someone else with her He calls, I think, Mrs. Roach. But he, well, she doesn't want him to. And she's like, go to sleep. Take your pill. Yeah. So she gives him the pill and he palms it because he does, like, magic. Mm -hmm. He loves doing magic tricks. And pretends that he takes it. And then when she's asleep, he goes and he calls Mrs. Roach being like, hey, can we come stay at your place? And she wakes up because she hears a voice. Like, she's having another weird dream. And she wakes up and she hears a voice say, there's someone in the house, which is, like, very frightening. But what it is, it's just, I think, the Babadook telling her that, like, her son's doing something. It's, like, this really heavily muffled voice that they do a couple times where it's, like, really, it sounds like somebody's speaking, like, through a pillow or something like that that just goes, there's someone in the house. And so she, like, runs downstairs and, like, it's him on the phone with the neighbor. And she, like, takes the phone and she's, like, no, she gets vicious on the phone she's like he's just being disobedient right that's and he is. is not obeying me mm-hmm. so like oh you have to go so i can take care of this or something she she's gets, like courteous but like he's the eye contact between the two of them is like oh this is very bad she uh, it's it's uh, it's like if you're the other person on the other end of the phone call you'd be like um, something's wrong here but yeah. also like not like i need to rush over right um and so she was like, I told you not to bother this nice lady. Like, what's wrong with you? She grabs a knife and is, like, talking to him very threateningly while holding this knife. And then she goes and she cuts the phone cord. Yeah. And she, like, has this – she's, like, watching old movies. And that's where you see, like, a bunch of, like, the Babadook showing up. And, like, she and Sam are both, like, in the living room. Yeah, she's, she's just, like, like on flipping the through different movies and different things. It shows a bunch of, like, old, like – silent films um interspersed with like infomercials and all this stuff and then the babadook just keeps popping up in them like yeah. weird or babadook-esque imagery and i actually i don't know if these happen during the same scene um but i know that this part happens now which is that she sees a news bulletin about a woman who stabbed her son and like put his body down in the basement and like the neighbors are talking about it and then it like shows an outside of like the house that they're in and there's her face in the window yep and it zooms and it, in on her and it like zooms in and she like smiles and so she wakes up from like i guess it was a dream it, it seemed kind of like almost trance like yeah it, it seemed more like she was in a trance and hallucinating i don't right. know for sure if she was dreaming but then she looks over to the couch and sam is there and he's very dead yeah he's been stabbed to death yeah and he's very bloody and she's like stands up and she realizes she's holding the bloody knife and she's freaking out and then sam starts like then we hear sam screaming and it cuts to him being awake and like perching on the couch and she's clearly standing over him with a knife right and she's like fuck what is happening so she um uh so she sees she ends up like going to the basement right and i don't fully remember why she goes down there but she goes down there and she sees oscar who's her husband down there and she's like oh my god like i thought you were dead and she like hugs him and they kiss and, and then it turns out he's actually the babadook yes kind of he's like we can be together you can bring me the boy 
and then just starts repeating you can bring me the boy boy. you can bring me the boy and it's really fucked up and she kind of it's like a callback to earlier when the teachers kept calling him the the boy boy. and she's like don't call him the boy like you're not my husband and then he says i think it's going to rain today which is what he said before right before he he died died. and so then he just sort of like fades into darkness as she like gets the fuck out of there basically yeah she's like you're i'm not doing that like you're not gonna you can't have him yeah um and so she tries to run away and she's sort of like stalked through like her whole house by the babadook like she locks herself in a like a uh a room and she's sitting next to like the fireplace and like his hat falls down through the fireplace yeah she doesn't getting just chased out the entire house yeah like him. he's here and he's mad and he like takes her over completely at this point yeah so he fully possesses her and she walks into oh god we haven't even talked about bugsy at all in this we did mention that she had a dog once but they have this really cute dog named bugsy he's a little white fluffy baby and i love him so much and she picks him up well, it's like whining and growl. It's at first he's whining and stuff like that, and he starts like growling. Yeah. And so she picks him up to like seemingly comfort him, and then just starts holding him like really, really, really tight. And you hear him like whimpering, and then she snaps his neck. Yeah, it made me very sad. It made me hug my dog, but not very tightly. Um, and right after that, ever since that scene where the Babadook like entered her mouth, like from the ceiling, she's been having like tooth pain. She keeps like rubbing her oh, jaw. God, yeah. And after this happens, she, like, reaches in her mouth and, like, rips out her own tooth. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. This is, like, the scene that I fast-forwarded through, like, the dog-slash-tooth scene. I was like, I'm not doing this the first time I watched it. (laughs) I didn't do that last night for some reason. It's messed up. Yeah. And so Sam is upstairs in his bedroom at this point because he knows, like, his mom is fucking gone. And so he was up there with Bugsy, and then Bugsy got out. So now he's up there on his own. The door is locked. She goes up, and she starts pounding on it. She's like, let me in. Let me in. Let me in. She, well, he, she's First, she tries to say, like, Bugsy's really hurt. We have to yeah. take him to the vet, which is so um, shining reminiscent yeah. when Jack is like, I think I'm real hurt. I got to go to the doctor. Yeah. It's that same thing but the dog being hurt. Yeah. And then she does, like, a scene. She's, like, holding on to the top of the door jam and like kicking in yeah and it's very supernatural creepy looking it's so fucked up it kind of reminds me of the scene in hereditary where they pan down from the attic like from him upstairs in the attic to his mom like on all fours like against the attic door just slamming her head yeah it's like obviously less supernatural than that but it's still that sort of she shouldn't be able to do that no i felt just as supernatural as that honestly yeah um but it it's funny because, like, this one scene just reminds me of both of those movies right. a lot. Because I, I was like actually thinking about Hereditary there, too. Kind of those two movies, if you put them together, makes this movie, essentially. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of similar stuff, which we'll talk about in a sec. But um, so eventually she gets in and he gets away. He has the crossbow oh, and he right, shoots right. her in the arm with the crossbow. Because she's, like, coming at him with the knife and she's, like floating in air and yeah like, she floats towards him I yeah think. and she's like she makes him like wet himself and then she screams at him for wetting himself she's like i can't like what type of child like wets himself like she's like mm-hmm. being cruel at this point and he shoots a fucking dart into her leg and then uh he shoots a dart into her arm mm. and then he hits her with the catapult into the head and then he runs downstairs and he runs her. downstairs and he gets a knife mm-hmm. or no he doesn't get the knife yet but he goes into the basement. Yeah, and she and, follows. And, and he set up this trap for the Babadook oh, a long time ago. He's the best, like, in terms of surviving a horror movie. Like, this six-year-old has everybody outclassed. Mm. Like, pretty much everyone. He's, like, Kevin McAllister levels of prepared for this shit. The only per- uh, Friday the 13th with the, the trap. 
I don't know. I mean, I guess in terms of like last minute rigging, yeah, that's true. She did a really good job. But this kid, man, he does a very good job. He's six. He is six. Well, that's very true. I feel like we've seen some very crafty children in some of these movies. But he does. He is very good. He's super crafty. And especially great. when you look at like the kid from Child's Play who just did nothing the entire time, was useless the entire movie. Yeah, this kid is legit. And he knows something is wrong with his mom. It's a good thing about being always scared is you're always prepared. True. Um, so he runs into the basement and she is following him and he pulls like this trip wire he set up. Yeah. And she falls down and she drops the knife mm-hmm. that she was holding um, and he grabs it and like stabs her in the leg. And she passes out. Yeah. And when she wakes up, she's tied up. Yeah. She's completely tied up on the floor. Um, yeah. Very Goodnight Mommy-esque. Yeah, basically the same thing. Oh my god, this movie is just a combination of like 15 different movies. But the weird thing is that Goodnight Mommy in this movie came out the same year. Oh wow. Which is crazy to me because they have so much in common. They do. Um, But so he like, he goes over to her and like is trying to, you know... He's like, I don't want you to have to go away. Like we said, we were going to protect each other. Like, like you I want protect my mom. Me. You need to protect me. And she's like, she breaks free of his restraints because he's a six-year-old. And she starts choking him. Yeah. And he reaches out with his little tiny baby hand and he like strokes her cheek. And it's really sweet. And then like she kind of like regains a semblance of herself. Yeah. And then she turns over and pukes out all of this black liquid. Yeah. And so she's like better now, but not like 100%. So she like apologizes to him and they go upstairs. And then all of a sudden he looks at her and he's like, mom, you can't get rid of the Babadook. And she's like, what? And the Babadook as like an unseen force, like hurls him up the stairs. Yeah. It, like it's a like dragging him from behind. Yeah. This was also... The same effect was used in, like, another movie that we watched recently, and I can't remember what it was. Mm. But the idea of someone being dragged... Uh, I think it might be, like, a Nightmare on Elm Street thing. That would make sense, yeah. Um, There's the one where she's getting, like, dragged around the room. You know what I'm thinking of is the body bag where just, like, the feet get oh, lifted yeah. up and carried out. It is kind of like that. Yeah, Sorry, I'm just thinking, of, this movie has so much inspiration, but has also sp- inspired, I think. Oh my god, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, he's just getting dragged from behind, and then, like, up the stairs, and it's freaky. And so she follows him up, and he's just getting, like, hurled around the bedroom. And so she, like, manages to kind of stop him, um, and she's, like, screaming at the Babadook, and, like, things are shaking. And then the Babadook shows her her husband's entire death. So he's, like, standing there, and he's, like... Baby, it's okay. Like, we're almost there. Just 10 more minutes. I know you can make it. And looks out the window and he's like, oh, I think it's going to rain today. And then you see, like, a light come in on the side of his face and his head gets sliced in half. Yeah. And she, like, starts screaming. But at this point, she's, like, mad more than, like, scared. And she's acknowledging it and she's screaming, like, get out. Yeah. And she screams, you are, this is my house. You are an intruder in my house. Like, you were not welcome. You're not welcome. And uh, this is when the entire house starts to, like, shake and all the walls are, like, ripping apart. Yeah. And then you see from the Babadook's point of view, like, a bright light, her screaming, and then it, like, zooms down the stairs and down into the basement and the door, like, slams shut behind it. And she locks it down there. And then we kind of flash forward a little bit. Like, a couple days, I think. Yeah. Um, Because we know that... She's gotten stitches in her leg because she's, like, picking up Sam from Mrs. Roach. Yeah. Or they're coming home, I think, Mm -hmm. from being out. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, how are you doing? She's like, oh, good. Like, I'm getting my stitches out in, like, the next day or two. And it's his birthday now. Mm -hmm. And they're celebrating it for the first time ever on his birthday. Yeah. And so they're, like, out in the garden. And she does – he, like, 
does a little magic trick for her, and he's gotten really good at magic, and he manages to make a dove appear just appear in a out of nowhere. Plate, yeah, which is something we'll talk about in a sec. And she collects all these earthworms out of the garden, and she puts them in a bowl, and she goes down to the basement, which is where the Babadook is still living. Yep. And he like kind of runs out like as a scary. Like, you don't see it, but it's, like, a presence. It's, like, from and his she's perspective like, or something like that. Yeah. And she's sort of knocked over for a second and then, like, stands, stands back, back up. up. And she's like, it's okay. It's okay. This is for you. And she, like, puts the worms down and they get, like, sucked into the, like, corner of the closet. Like, yeah. Boom. And um, and she goes back upstairs yeah. uh, out back with Sam. And he's like, how was it? And she's like, oh, it's, it's not a bad day. Or, like, it was a pretty mm-hmm. good day or something like that. Yeah. And he's like, can I feed it someday? And she's like, not until you're much, much older. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how it ends. It's just them having it's... a nice little birthday party, the two of them in the backyard. So one of the theories that I have read about this is that she does kill him. Oh. Because at the end, there is no way a six-year-old or a seven-year-old would be able to do any of the shit that he does. That's true. And it's, like, a little too perfect. Like, he's, like, spot on with all the darts. And he's, like, doing the pie plate trick with the... Like, even though he was just doing basic shit, like, a week ago. So that's one interpretation. I mean, he was still decent. But he wasn't, yeah. like, a real dove. I don't know. I thought maybe it was, like, symbolic of hope or something like that. Yeah, I think that there's so much symbolism that you can kind of allow it to be a representation of their happiness, whether or not it's literal. Yeah, I mean, maybe they both died. Maybe. I think it'd be more likely that both of them died than it would be that just he died. Yeah. Um, but, oh my god, this, this movie is so... God. There's also a theory that she made the book. Oh, that's 100% my theory. Because she's a child. She's a, a children's writer. Yeah, and it's just, it's like one comment made in passing, but the first time I watched it, when I didn't know what was going on, I was like, oh no, she made that book. Like, in her state, and that's one of the reasons, even something. though she actually does sleep, maybe, like, she was doing it when she wasn't asleep like she was right in a or, or you can like go that. into like a fugue state if you don't yeah. sleep ever like you can start no but she 150 percent made that book i i would i think that stands to reason and then i mean the obvious metaphor is just the babadook is grief slash depression yeah gotta deal with your feelings folks yeah i this movie's fascinating it is. And so we're going to get into a little bit of the background on this. Um, I want to cite our sources real quick. Um, there is an sbs.com.au article called How Jennifer Kent Made the Babadook. A Guardian.com article called The Babadook. I wanted to talk about the need to face darkness in ourselves, which is an interview with Jennifer Kent as well. There is a dissolve or an article on The Dissolve called Babadook director Jennifer Kent talks about drawing horror from life by David Ehrlich. There is a article on littlewhitelies.com um, called Mommy Dearest, The Changing Face of Maternal Horror Cinema, and an interview on mountainx.com called Interview with the Babadook's Writer-Director Jennifer Kent by Ken Hankey. Okay, so in terms of background for this and how Jennifer Kent got to this point, uh, she actually began as an actress. And she went to school with Essie Davis. She did, which is how, despite the fact that Essie Davis is also the lead on the show Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, she was able to get her for this low-budget horror movie, because they are friends. That makes sense, yeah. Um, And she said about this whole situation and why she chose Essie Davis particularly is, um, the role of Amelia is very challenging. She starts out very meek and mild, and then heads into utterly monstrous territory. I trained as an actor with Essie at NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art, and we were very good friends. 
Having mutual trust was important. If you know the places that Essie goes to in The Babadook, you have to know the director is sending you in the right direction. Early in the film, I had to make sure the character kept a lid on her feelings. Towards the end, it was just about getting out of Essie's way. She is an extraordinary actor. To her credit, she is very receptive, likes to be directed, and is a joy to work with. So they're, like, on really great terms. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like they're very in sync. Yeah, which is actually something that um, she talks about. So when she first decided to start getting into film... um, and she kind of left acting behind and got like disillusioned with acting. She reached out to Lars von Trier, which I think makes a lot of sense, like as a mentor figure for her, based on how fucked up this movie is. In, like, I a don't psychological know who way. that is. Okay, he did *Nymphomaniac*, and oh, did he do the uh, the 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 the, uh, the one in the forest? Yeah, that's no, no that's Antichrist. Antichrist. Yeah, the, he did he do that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I know who he is because of *Antichrist*. Yes, um, that's the. I have read the synopsis of all of his movies. I've never seen one because yeah. they sound a little too fucked up. I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm sure eventually we'll do one or something like that, but maybe um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, uh, but oh. she worked on his 2003 film *Dogville*. Okay, and. <laughs> Uh, she wrote him this letter begging him to work with him and said, at the time I was looking to make my own films, I saw Dancer in the Dark and I remember leaping up at the end and saying, I want to work with this guy. My friends thought I was mental, but I, if I feel instinctively that I have to do something, then I'm like a dog with a bone. So I got his address and wrote him a really heartfelt letter about why I wanted to come and learn from him. I said I'd rather stick pins in my eyes than go to film school. So maybe it was the suggestion of a woman sticking pins in her eyes that really interested Lars. Who knows? But the approach got through. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, after knowing that she worked with him, mm-hmm. I feel like things are just like falling into place. Yeah. Also, I love the idea of somebody being like, I would rather stick pins in my eyes than go to film school as a film school graduate. Like... How do you feel about I that statement? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, but I get it. Um, but she saw the way that he surrounds himself, what she called a, like a family of people on set who like he's worked with many times before and like will probably work with for a lot of the rest of his career. And she kind of liked that. And she wanted to put together a little creative family like that as well with like the intention of working with them long term. Which Sorry. I think is part of the reason that she was drawn to casting Essie Davis, someone that she's friends with and, you know, knows she can work well with. So she decided to bring uh, Essie Davis on board, but she also got, like, crew members that she felt like a strong connection to. So she hired this Polish director of photography named... Radek Ladchuk. Ladchuk, okay. And an American illustrator named Alexander Juhas, who's the guy who created the book. Um, yeah, he did really well. Yeah, it's fucked up. I guess they, like, started doing the art direction. She was like, do you want to just do the whole book? Do you want to make the book? And he was like, yep. And so he made this, like, fucking terrifying book. So um, in terms of this movie specifically, so this was inspired by a 2005 short that she did called Monster. Okay. Which is about, I mean, it's basically the same thing. She calls it, like, the baby Babadook. Um, and baby Babadook. Baby Babadook. Duck, 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 duck. Baby Babadook. Duck. Oh, my God. I think we're ripe for a a parody of that, right? Yes. Get on it, Internet. Do it. Um, And so she sort of, like, took that and expanded it into this full-length film. And I guess while they were shooting it, first off, she tried to do everything in camera or, like, in the flesh. So, like, there's a very limited muted color palette on this. Like you talked about, like, for the most part, she wears, like, light-colored dresses, and you only occasionally see her in, like, the deeper colors. She said that her colors that she was willing to work with for this were anything on the grayscale and then like burgundy or like reddish. And that one time she wears like a vibrant color, is that burgundy? Right. Or a teal. And like all the walls in the house are like teal. Oh, that's true. 
Um, and I think there's like some rugs that are burgundy. So that's like the only color palette that you really ever work with. There's yeah, like blues, that and like burgundy. blush. Because yeah. uh, almost every day she just wears blush. Right, just a pink dress. Um, and so in order to do that, that is all, none of that is filters. None of that is gels on the camera or anything like that. If the furniture that they got was too brown, she made the art director like paint them to make them more gray. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like all of that stuff is on set. All of the stop motion stuff, like all of the Babadook stuff, it's not CGI. It's all in camera. She wanted everything to be done in camera. There might be a couple things that are CGI, but I'm not 100% sure. I think it, the vast majority of it is just that stop makes motion. That sense, yeah. Um, and they had to have a little stand-in for like a, an adult standing on his knees for the kid in like the screaming scenes because they didn't want to actually have to scream at a child actor. That's sweet. Yeah, she said that they, she told him like the kind of, boiled down basic kid-friendly version of the story and then like didn't have him present for any of the like really upsetting scenes good good call yeah and then they like played cards and hung out in their off time because she said that when there's all that emotional stuff happening on the screen you kind of have to make sure that like the behind the scenes on set stuff is like nice and happy and not upsetting (laughs) which i think is sweet because it's like you see like the kubrick types who are like no you have to be terrified all the time or your fear won't be real and she's like well, enough upsetting stuff for now. Let's just go play Jax or something, you know? And you know what? There are really good performances in both movies. That's true. Um, And it's kind of funny that I, I feel like The Shining thing has gotten brought up a lot just in this episode because I think they are kind of similar films. Um, But she loves horror. That's something that she talked about a lot, about, like, making horror because you love it and not because you think it's, like, commercially viable or anything yeah. like that. Um. And that she's always been watching things, and she loves David Lynch as a director, which I think makes sense, because there's so much weird, surreal... Never actually seen anything by David Lynch. I've only really seen um, parts of uh, Twin Peaks. I was named after a character on Twin Peaks. Interesting. That's how I got the name Maddie. But she's also interested, or also inspired by people like uh, Carl Dreyer, who is like an old school, um, I believe, Danish director of movies like Vampire, which was like a 19... 30s i think like in 1938 yeah there's a lot of like old school slash silent movie inspiration in this loves it she talks a lot about loving silent film and so he made like this movie called vampire which is like really atmospheric it's mostly set in this one location which i believe is a house there's all this weird tension she talks about loving georges millier i don't know if i'm saying that right but he's like a a very very early like um I guess you would call it horror director who did like these little horror shorts and stuff like that. Uh, Segundo de Chaumont, who is, um, I think Spanish. And a lot of that really comes through in this movie. Like there's the, uh, montage of all the different silent movies mixed in with like infomercials and news and stuff like that. And the Babadook is like in them. And he looks, I mean, he looks like one because he is based off of like a character from the 1927 movie, London after midnight. Um, which I actually put a picture at the bottom of the thing if you want to scroll down and look at it. He's a very creepy man with pointy teeth and big bulgy eyes and, like, a big hat. It's, he's, I guess he's called the man with the beaver hat in the movie. I like it. And he looks just like him. He does. They like, look he, very similar. He looks really, really similar. If you look it up, um, that's what he looks like. And it just, like, all of the stop-motion Babadook thing is, like, very silent era as well because that's how they would do, like, the disappearing and reappearing of, like, the vampires and stuff like that. So it's really cool to see somebody who is willing to go that far back in horror for their inspiration and yeah. like make it modern, but it's still, it seems so fresh and cool and exciting and interesting, but it's really like throwing it back to the earliest, earliest days. I like that a lot. 
Um, she also talks about John Carpenter being an influence. I see little bits of the thing in this. Like the I tension. Haven't seen the thing. Oh my god. I know, Maddie. I have seen none of the movies <laughs> that she I've seen a lot of horror movies, okay. Obviously, we've been doing this podcast for almost two years now. Right. Um, I watched a lot of movies before we started this podcast, but there are some staples that I am missing. The thing is great. Um I actually just saw it recently at like a midnight showing at the uh, Hollywood Dome, which was mostly great, but it was a midnight showing, so I fell asleep part of the way through because I'm Yeah, I can't now. really do them anymore. No. But uh, it's a great movie, and, you know, the main point, like, the thing is a shapeshifter. So it, yeah. it's all these people on this base in Antarctica, not sure who the other people around them are, whether they're still themselves or if they've been taken over by this monster. So it's, I mean, it's basically the same you know, it's very comparable in this where the kid is not 100% sure when his mom is turning into the Babadook. Like, when has she really been fully possessed? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of comparisons to The Shining. There's this supernatural force that's sort of an analogy for a real struggle. Like, in this, it's her depression and her grief. In The Shining, it's Jack's alcoholism. Um, and they sort of take over this otherwise loving parent and turn them into, like, a very violent, bad monster person. Yeah, and it's interesting because... I guess they're both kind of supposed to be loving, but neither of them are really even that loving in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I know in the book, Jack is actually very supportive and like a wonderful parent. It's interesting that you mentioned the book because in one of the interviews that I read, the one with the guardian, she says, I feel very honored about the comparisons to the shining, but it's funny because after Sundance, I read the shining and I feel that the Babadook is actually closer to the book than the Kubrick film. Interesting. I, I guess that with the book, Stephen King goes into the psychology of the character and you feel for him even when he's going right on a downward spiral. Yeah. And that's the same thing. It is. It's true. It's such a good example. Like, that is what makes the book so good is that you're like, oh, I know why you're doing this stuff, but please don't do it. And that's exactly how I felt watching The Babadook. Yeah. Especially when she's drugging yeah. the kid. I was just like... I, I understand your thought process, but don't do that. And, like, I get being exhausted and being in bed and not wanting to deal with, like, God knows, even having a dog sometimes, I'm like, I wish I didn't have to walk you before bed. I get woken up at, like, 6 a.m. a lot of mornings by a small eight-pound jerk walking on me. Yeah, and so it's easy to understand, like, being like, just not right now, Don't don't make me deal with this, but, like... You got to, you know? Just like for you clarification, the eight-pound jerk is Nikolai. I don't have, like, a very small child. I have a very... You have a baby who just walks on you in the morning. I have a cat that really likes attention. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and I do think that motherhood being one of the major themes in this movie sort of ties it into a lot of horror history. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about Goodnight Mommy and Hereditary, which I think we could go into even further, honestly. Right. Well, it's so interesting that, like, it's just fascinating to me that right now we are in this sort of, like, horror I don't know. renaissance? Yeah, horror renaissance, but so much of it is focused on women. That's true. And focused on female experiences. And I think it's so fascinating, especially this compared with Goodnight Mommy. It's basically mirror images of the same story. Yeah, right? that's true. So in Goodnight Mommy, you have the kid or the kids who are, like, confident that their mom has been taken over by someone else or is an imposter and is trying to hurt them. Which is basically the same thing that Sam is going through in this, but Sam is right in this, whereas the kids are, like, the bad, you know, person in the other, you know, in yeah. Goodnight Mommy. But there's so many things in common. I mean, there's the tying up, like you mentioned. There's the death of the animal. Death of the animal. There's the cockroaches. Yeah. There's a lot of cockroaches in both of them. Um, 
there's kind of just a feeling of isolation in both of them that they yeah. have where there's just like no one in um in terms of the Babadook, the mom and the kid have like driven everyone away, so it's more of like a social isolation. Yeah. While in Goodnight Mommy it's a literal isolation. Right. But it has the same feeling. I mean, you still kind of feel like they've sort of reached the end of like who there's are they gonna no go one, to? They can't, there's no one there to help really. Right. And uh the nice neighbor woman we didn't mention uh when you talk about the movie, but she also has Parkinson's mm-hmm. and so she doesn't move super well. And so she can't right. like do much to help. She's very sweet and like wants to be there and right. be supportive, but there isn't that much she can actually physically do. Right. Exactly. But she does go and try to check she in on them and all of that. And you know, she does what she can. I love her. She's, wonderful. she's lovely. Yeah. Um, and then hereditary also has that focus on like the mother having a hard time connecting to like her child who survived after, after losing someone loss. that she loved. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they kind of both, I think in common between the two of them is like in both of them, the mother becomes the monster. Yeah. Like in a literal sense and also in like an emotional sense, which I think is really interesting. And I think that that's something that you haven't really, like, it's unusual to see a mother figure being that complex in horror. And I think that it's sort of just starting more recently yeah i definitely think that these are themes so there's a podcast i used to listen to um that had two people who talk about horror it was uh chris straub and abby howard and they'd go into a couple of different thoughts and there was an episode mind you this was like in 2016 when i was listening to it so i don't remember it super well but they actually talked about like the fear of motherhood and how that was something that had been starting to be explored and how that was something that like really deeply resonated and i think that she was saying like that was the scariest um yeah the scariest like genre of films and the things that messed with her the most because they just like it is something that's like this it's supposed to be so beautiful it's supposed to be this thing that is expected of you and then sometimes it just goes so wrong yeah and i think it's interesting because it's always been a theme in horror kind of but like I think for a long time it was focused on, like, what happens if you have a baby and the baby's messed up? Not you have, like, like, your Rosemary's baby, your Carrie, what? or your Omen, Exorcist. But those aren't, like, what happens if you're a mom and you have a kid and something bad happens in your life and, like, you don't handle it very well. Right. And I think that's so much more interesting. And it's so much more terrifying. And I think that a lot of it comes from women being the creators. Because, so, like, if you have something where it's, like, Rosemary's baby, the Omen, the Exorcist, that's, like... Anyone can sort of look at it and be like, a, a guy can look at it and be like, okay, so like, what would be scary about being a mom? Well, like, what if the baby's messed up? It's like, what if you have a Rosemary's baby situation and you give birth to the devil? Or like, what if, you know, what else could be scary about being a mom? Well, you could be like a Carrie or a psycho situation where like, then the mom is scary because like, she fucked up this other kid in this way. But it's like, so over the top that like... The nuance in these movies is so... It just feels so authentic. Yeah, like you never feel in Carrie, like Carrie's mom... You, like you never get where she's coming from, Mm-mm. you know? She's just a villain. And this like... There isn't really a villain. It's just... She's kind Ooh. of both. Yeah. She's like the hero... She has to fight her own problems in order to be the hero and to like even keep from being the, the villain. The kid is both the villain and the hero too, because like without him, she, well, I mean, one, she, he drove her absolutely insane. It was kind of her fault for how she raised him, right? But then also like he was just a very difficult child. But it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to say like, 
And and that's sort of, I mean, I think that's part of what's scary is like, okay, so if you are in the situation where you have this baby that you're excited about having, and then your husband dies literally hours before the baby is born, how are you ever supposed to be able to get over that and like put that aside and still be a good enough mom for this kid that it doesn't grow up to be really damaged and really emotionally unstable and it doesn't end up making everything worse you know it doesn't put that strain on your relationship how do you keep that from happening and I think that's it's not that like it's not like she doesn't care or she's not trying like she's trying really hard but like how on earth could you possibly put that resentment away without like a ton of help and she's not getting the help so it's almost like she's ignoring it and it's getting stronger almost like the book said yeah and in the article um, on the dissolve, um, Jennifer Kent sort of talks about how like it's a very feminine or feminized trait to sort of push down your own problems and just try <laughs> to help other people, yep. which I think a lot of women can probably relate to where it's like, oh, no, don't worry about me. Like, I'm fine. Like, everything's cool. Like, what can I do for you? Like, what can we like? I'm going to go work at the dementia ward now so that I can help all these other people all day long. And honestly, if she had just taken a day off and gone and gotten ice cream and asked her sister to watch her son for a little while, like, way earlier, and, like, eventually, after he hurts himself, she makes tries to make an appointment with, like, a psychiatrist, but, like, it's going to be a long wait. If she had done that stuff so much earlier and put herself first and just, instead of just being like, I've got it, I've got it, it's fine, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, she has all these complicated relationships and it allows a Babadook in. Uh, this movie, man. Yeah. I just, it's so hard to watch. And I did think it was really interesting that instead of, at the end, instead of it just going away and being better and being fine, or instead of everyone dying, and sort of meets in this middle place where it's like, everything can be fine and your life can be okay, and you can be happy and have happiness, but you still have to acknowledge the Babadook. You have to acknowledge your grief. You have to give it a little bit of your time and sort of say, it's okay. It's, you know, it's all right. This thing is here, but that's fine. I'm going to give it yeah. some worms and go on my way. And, and it's really obvious watching this movie that the whole thing is a metaphor for grief and oh, depression. Yeah. Absolutely. And the idea of, and as I've mentioned a couple of times now, the whole like, oh, if you ignore it, it gets stronger. Mm-hmm. The idea that it's always there. And once you let it in, like it can't escape. Um, it's always going to be a part of you. Right. And so then the idea of putting it in the basement, but knowing that it's there, going and treating it daily. And some days are going to be good and some days are going to be bad because she says, oh, today was a good day, which implies there are going to be days that aren't good days. Right. It's it's an ending that's like, okay, you realize that you have this thing that you have to deal with and you can be okay and won't ever be perfect, but it'll be yeah. better than the alternative. There's something that um, Marcus Parks from last podcast on the left talks about a lot. He talks a lot about like mental health and stuff like that. And something he says quite frequently is like, your mental health problems aren't your fault, but they are your responsibility. Yes. And I think that's kind of what this comes down to is like, it's not her fault that all this terrible shit happened to her. Like, it's not her fault her husband died. No, no, no. It's not her fault that she has like this, like that she lost her partner and now she has to be a mom on her own and deal with all that shit. Like, that's not her fault, but she didn't do anything about it. It, She didn't take responsibility for her feelings or her problems. Sorry, when you said, like, none of the stuff that happened to her was her fault, I thought you meant, like... Oh, in the movie, most of that is her fault. Everything that happens in the movie is 100% her fault. Yeah. But it's just, you know, just because bad shit happens to you doesn't mean... Like, just because you aren't responsible for the bad shit that happened to you doesn't mean that you're not responsible for dealing with the bad shit that happened to you. It's not her fault that she has depression. Right. 
but she needs to do something about it and not murder her son violently with a knife. Have you ever seen the movie um, Lights Out? Just assume I've never seen a movie at this point, because apparently I've seen nothing. Lights Out is kind of an interesting counterpart to this, because um, there's a monster in the house that, like, attacks you when the lights are out off, I think. I I was trying to remember if it was you turn the lights out so the monster can't get you, or you turn the lights... No, but it's you turn the lights on so the monster can't get you, so it can only get you when the lights are out. That's what it is. Um, but I over, remember the posters for this. Maybe, yeah, with like I never the saw it. switch, the mm-hmm. light switch taped on. Um, it's honestly a pretty good movie. Um, also created from a short film, sort of like this one. Um, and over the movie, the uh, monster sort of ends up being also kind of a metaphor for the mother's depression. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers, real quick. Uh, pause this if you haven't seen the movie. I'm going to spoil this for you. If you're That's okay fine. with it. At the end of the movie, the mom, the mom deals with it by killing herself. So I think that there's a couple ways that you can take your interpretation. <laughs> like, if you're going to make a movie about mental health, you can either make it that way, where intentionally or unintentionally the message of the movie is if your mental health becomes difficult for the people around you, just kill yourself, which is not, not the right message. Not and I, a good message. I don't think that's the message they were intentionally going for, but, like, that's really what came through. Or you can make a movie like this where you acknowledge it and you, like pay respect to the work that you have to do on yourself, but still acknowledge that, like, you can have a happy ending, even if shit gets real bad. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and choose to believe that they did not die. Yeah, I don't want them to. I I think it's nicer if she overcame it. The dove was very confusing, but but often doves are a sign of, like, peace. Sometimes a dove is just there, and it's just a little confusing. Sometimes a dove's a dove. Sometimes a dove is a pigeon. They're very similar. Sometimes a pigeon is a dove. That's true. In disguise. No, pigeons are always doves. They're rock doves because they right. look like rocks. Oh, that makes sense. I always thought it was because they were on rocks a lot. No, so... Because they used know. to be in cliffs, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why they live in cities? That's exactly what I was going to say. They're anyway, fascinating. Anyway, now that we've gotten to the pigeon facts uh, <laughs> part of the <laughs> episode, I think it's time to call it a night. Um, but before we sign off, uh, let's talk about what we are going to be watching next episode, which will be in two weeks and not in four weeks. Again, we're sorry. Oh, yes. I'm sorry about that. Um, we're going to go, uh, a little further away from home than Australia. Yeah. Uh, galaxy far, far away. In space. No, Maddie, that's the wrong movie. That's a different movie. We're still in a different galaxy, Maggie. No, we're. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. We're in space where no one can hear you scream. It also has a cool tagline. It does. (laughs) We're going to be talking about Alien. Yes. Which Uh, I love. It's so good. Has Katniss. That doesn't die. It doesn't die. The cat does not die. And I watched this movie when I was like nine years old with my mom. I was obsessed with cats when I I was nine. I'm obsessed with cats when I'm 28. Nothing has changed. Um, (laughs) But I was like, mom, does the cat die? And she's like, no, the cat doesn't die. I don't know if she knew that the cat didn't die, (laughs) but the cat does not die. It doesn't. I'm sure that I'll talk about this more next week. Alien was one of the first movies that ever truly scared me. So I'm very excited to be able to talk about it. Um, but we'll be coming at you in two weeks with that. In the meantime, uh, please rate, review, subscribe to this, uh, share it with your friends, tell people on the street, do whatever. Um, that is how we get more listeners. Um, help us spread our word. Read every creepy child's book on your shelf. But read it before you start, like, just do like a read through before you start reading it to your child. Uh, That's not how I live my life. I just pick a book, read it out loud. Traumatize your child. You know something's going to traumatize him sometime. <laughs> Might as well be you. I, I, 
I'm fine with you being traumatized as long as it's here in the home. I don't want you being traumatized out there. I also don't have any kids to traumatize. That's true. You just got the cats. All right, guys. Um, so take care. We will see you next time. Uh, until then, um, talk to someone if you're feeling upset about something. Yeah. We're going to end it on a serious note. Get help if you're having problems. Yeah, it's uh, better to talk about it and address it than just pretend that everything's okay when it's not. Don't let the Babadook in. And uh, drive safe. Text us when you get there. And just whenever you go somewhere, knock like either two times or four times. Don't be that guy who Babadook knocks. No. No. Or if you do, hide around the corner when they open it so that Leave a no book. one's there. Leave a book on the... Be creepy. Yeah, do it. Creep it up. Have fun, guys. We'll talk to you soon. We love you. Bye. Mwah. <laughs>